Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 4, Episode 1, Boys of Summer. As always, I'm the host, Surreal Gerald Quinn, joined by one Robert Sapp. How you doing, Mr. Sapp? Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. How you doing? Good, good. You know, outside of rooting for, you know, a certain football team, you know, been been on, you know, mm-hmm. okay, okay. But <laughs> that is, uh, you know, has, 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 has nothing, you know, it's been nothing new over the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just roll with the punches. Uh, so we are at season four. Um, of the wire, of course, we talked about this a little bit about this earlier. Uh, about uh, I think last episode, the season almost did not happen. Um, so season three ended in December 2004. The first episode, season four, would not begin, did not start until September 2006. Uh, they came very close. Um, to uh, canceling to canceling the show, uh, that was one of the reasons why uh, you saw season three and saw episode twelve, and it felt like a it could have been a serious finale. That's not that that was not by by accident. Um, even though the show was scheduled for five seasons in terms of the in terms of the in, in the minds of one David Simon, Ed Burns, and, and company, they knew that, you know, there was a strong possibility that season three could be it. So, you know, you saw them finish off, you know, the Barksdale uh, storyline and, you know, with Avon and Stringer and what have you, tie all that up, D'Angelo, tie all that up. And after that, you know, you know, they, you, after that, they gave you, you know, it gave you pieces of what could what, what possibly could come up if there was a season four, but you know they wrapped they you know they were prepared for uh for it to be a wrap. So season four, thankfully HBO signs off on it, um, with the theme being of course education, and similar to season two, there it was a risky season from the standpoint of this. Um, shifting not only in terms of talking about education, but shifting their focus from the Barstales to, you know, now the Stanfield, Stanford organization with Martin, led by Marlowe, and also going into um, shifting their focus into these four unknown actors who um, we would see uh, play over the season, uh, see over the course of the season, um, so, there, you know, a bit of a risk from that standpoint um, into the unknown for season four. Not not as quite as big uh, as season two, uh, because up until that point, this, the show had not built up the same equity uh, that we have through one season prior to season two as it has up until this point through three seasons. So, again, season four almost did not happen. Almost did not happen. Came very close to not happening. Thankfully, it did. Um, so you get, you know, first episode, Boys of Summer. 
directed by one Joe Chappelle, who had done previous uh, Wire episodes uh, through, through the course of the first three seasons. Liked a lot by Vulture, as this episode was was ranked number two all time in uh, all time in terms of the rankings, uh, in terms of all time uh, Wire rankings by Vulture. So Vulture loved loved this episode. Um, and you had the epigraph, Lambs to the Slaughter, by one Marsha Donnelly, who, of course, plays the uh, assistant principal. And we'll certainly find, find out more about her over the course um, of the season. For themes, I, you know, I had um, new regimes uh, with, the major case, with the major crimes unit and the Stansfield organization, of course, taking over for the uh, Barksdales and really a, you know, a new, so you had a new crime unit that was being chased uh, by the MCU and frankly, a new MCU, a, a, a new MCU as we, the MCU lost some of their, um, some of their peoples, which we'll, which we'll talk about more uh, from uh, season three that went in, went in their uh, different, went in different directions. So we go to the opening scene, um, Go to the opening scene, which of course always tells the story or sets the tone for the season of The Wire. This season, this season, you know, a, a bit risky in terms of the opening scene, in terms of who was who was uh, who was in, involved with it. We have Snoop in a hardware store shopping for a uh, a nail a nail a, a, a nail gun. So Snoop is in the hardware store shopping for a nail gun. The salesman approaches her, uh, attempts to, of course, to, to help her out. They engage into a conversation, and before you know it, before you know it, you know they are, you know, the sales, you know, the salesperson, you know, they're they're speaking completely different languages in regards to what she's talking about, in regards to what he's talking about, but they end up coming to a common ground by the end of the conversation when the uh, Seemingly, the salesperson made the connection of what Snoop uh, was talking about. Um, so they make that connection. She is impressed with his uh, service and impressed with, you know, the service that he that he provides for her, pays her. So she pays him on the spot $800, which was well over the amount that the, of the sales gun, that the sales gun, the, not sales gun, the nail gun cost. Um she takes the gun out to Chris, says, you know, hey, the guy said that this was the Cadillac of, of male guns. He mentioned, and then she jokingly, not jokingly, but this she says he, he believes, she believes that he meant to say Lexus. Now, I'm sure he meant, to, just showing you the, the generation graph, but I'm pretty sure that he meant to say Cadillac, which he did. And Chris says, okay, Let's, you know, let's, you know, let's, it looks like this is all good. They, of course, they're looking for a gun that's going to maintain a longer charge um, than the previous gun that they had. Very, um, just very powerful uh, opening scene. And again, this was a, you know, and I'll talk more about this opening scene once, you know, once you, uh, you know, give your uh, uh, thoughts on it. But what were your, what were your initial thoughts on this opening scene for this, this new era uh, of the wire? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important to to um, know exactly or to notice exactly like kind of the things that you were talking about um, up front. And so um, this episode 
um, in particular, like since we're talking about like the this episode opening scene, all of it, it, it follows the same the same pattern, um, and that is that the um, the um, the the this is about setting the the stage um, and resetting the table is the way that I would like to like to frame it. Um, and so, uh, with that being said, like the, like everything is all new, all different because of the different things that you said at the very beginning, um, they had to end the arcs of all of their characters in, at the end of season three, um, whatever arc they were. So they had to bring it to a definitive end. And so now it's resetting the tables, um, exactly like you said, similar to season two, we now have to relearn different characters. Uh, I mean, we have to learn different characters and then we have to relearn where our, where are our, where our leftover characters are at this point in time. And so this opening scene is about reorientating or orientating us to a specific character and a specific setup that's going to set the stage for the entire season. Yeah. Um, if you if you remember the three previous opening scenes you had was were, were pretty careful and pretty safe in regards to the characters that they chose to open with. Uh, you know, season one you had McNulty. I matter of fact, the first two seasons McNulty was was a part of that opening scene. Then season three you had Bodie and a, and a couple of Barksdales. And by by time season three rolled around, we already we knew who Bodhi was and he was well established as being not not being that and not so much being a main character but a, but a guy that we were familiar with so you know with Snoop we we saw Snoop briefly last season we saw Snoop briefly last season but this was kind of like you know this was and David Simon talked about this this was kind this was a risk from a standpoint of not a seasoned actor is you know Felicia Pearson not Felicia Pierce. Yeah, Felicia Pearson, uh, the character that that plays Snoop. She certainly not a seasoned actor. This this her which was at the time. This was the first only thing she had ever been in. Uh, we know her story off off screen. You know, she had been locked up for uh, manslaughter. Um, had been locked up for manslaughter before she even started the wire and what have you. So you know, it, it completely, you know, even though you're right that it, it had it had a similar pattern as far as setting, setting the stage, but completely different from in terms of the actor um, that they chose to to set the stage with, I should I should say, from that standpoint. Um, you go to uh, the detail. So again, the detail, we have Perlman Freeman, uh, Kima in this scene, um they so at this point in you know this version of the detail of course looks a lot different there's no daniels and part of the detail there's no mcnulty uh who's a part of no no daniels no mcnulty no uh you know no herc so this is you know you still have kima bunk not bunk but you have kima and freeman of course the details being led by freeman of course a new lieutenant they are talking about the Stansfield, uh, the Stansfield crew not being as quite as fierce as the Barksdales because they 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 are not dropping bodies. Uh, they are not dropping bodies. Lester brags, "Hey, if, if Marlo and the rest of his crew stay on the wire, stay on the wire, stay on these cell phones, they're mine." 
So uh, they they would discuss they discussed that along with Perlman, and then of course they they bring up the uh, Lester in particular brings up the asset investigations of the Barksdale money of the Barksdale money trail, which they had previously talked about. Um, you know, throughout the court uh, in the course of, of season three, and that really began in season one in terms of the money trail. Perlman, of course, is kind of is, is reluctant to you know to to go into that, but of course Lester. Um, Lester uh, is, is is definitely is excited about about that. So, what were your thoughts on this this new version of the detail, uh, and well as well as what they were thinking about uh, Marlowe's organization off the off the bat? Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, like that that's going to be the overarching theme of this episode for me. Is about it's about setting the table again. And so, um, just like you said, like it's a brand new detail. It just, it just is. This is not. This is not what they're. What the show is going for right now is to let you know that this is not the same show that was before. This is going to be something different. It's going to feel different. Um, and so, um, this opening scene is about um, what this new detail is, uh, or or reform detail is I'm really interested in and what um, agendas they're, they're going to be pushing. So you get kind of like a small, everything's just a little taste right now. Everything's just a little taste. So um, there you can't, this episode is not set up to even start answering questions or anything like that, or even asking very big, big stuff um, thematically, even though I'll get, get to that at the, at the very end um, of this conversation. Um, so it's just a taste. And so you get a little taste of Freeman, you get a little taste of Kima, you get a little taste of their thoughts on um, Marlowe, which is setting up a much bigger story, of course. Um, and then um, you get a little taste on their, the, like how, how they're vibing with, with the new lieutenant. Um, and, um, and you get just a taste of how it feels without everybody else around. So we go to... We go to Carcetti. Carcetti is in, is in a diner, uh, speaking to a speaking to one uh, speaking speaking to an ex mayor. Uh, they're discussing, of course, discussing the election, um, and the ex mayor basically tells him, you know, respectfully that the day of the white mayor is over in Baltimore. Uh, before, of course, before Carcetti's uh, number one dude. Norman, uh, his top of his top, you know, his top assistant comes in and rushes him, basically rushes him out, out because, you know, he's, he's a, a candidate that's running for mayor. He has a busy schedule. Uh, and may, of course, Norman was, was, was seemingly pretty annoyed that uh, Cargetti was even having this conversation. And as Cargetti is leaving, well, as soon as he leaves, uh, the ex-mayor reminds Norman that, you know, don't forget that, hey, the guy, you know, don't let, don't forget that he's on the clock as somebody who's running for mayor. And of course, Norman, you know, kind of was similar, somewhat impressed by that, but kind of was like, yeah, no, you know, no question about it. And as they go on, um, what were your thoughts? Quick scene, but what were your thoughts on this scene? Yep, just a little taste. Um, the only thing that I'll say um, more on this is that uh, this is this is um, to to your point of like how limited the actor's experience are in this in this um in this season uh we 
they they have some heavyweight performances and in ter- in terms of like this entire season. So a little bit of taste of Aiden Gillian, I'm Carcetti. Like that 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 is that is just that's the person you need to focus on. Um and so uh so giving us giving us a nice little taste of his life now. Um and also inform a very important inform us that he's actually running for mayor now. Like he's actually put in the papers doing all the things like has campaign staff, got it, all that stuff. Like he's running for mayor. He's doing it. And it's, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And I'll so right a uh, quick, quick note on the guy, the X-Mayor that he was talking to, uh, that guy uh, is the brother of uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, so just as a, you know, just kind of like some little extra information, some little bonus information from that standpoint, that guy is the real life brother of one Francis Ford Coppola. Um, we get back to the detail and the new lieutenant. So, you know, the new lieutenant is just signing off on everything. You know, he's, you know, he's signing off on everything. Lester and Kima basically, you know, can, are, can do what they want. Uh, and certainly are happy about it. And we see him, we see him not only sign off on everything, we see him with a, a, uh, a diagram of his uh, of his entire beach house that's being uh, that's being currently constructed. So, you know, why this is why this is important, of course, is is why would how could any lieutenant why would any lieutenant uh, of of a unit like that have their beach house uh, constructed what diagrams with on you know at, at work with them? So, give you a little insight on on who the lieutenant the new, new lieutenant is. He is not. Cedric Daniels. Uh, what were your thoughts? This was a quick scene, but told told us a lot in, in a short amount of time. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, it's a quick scene, but it is an important scene because, again, every scene is important because this is resetting the table. Um, we'll keep saying that. Um, this is resetting the table. And so um, what what's important about this is that um, the lieutenant was handpicked as someone who would be um would be useful to freeman's agenda so yes. that again freeman equals this unit period in the story they're 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 re they're they're saying that again and again freeman equals unit the lieutenant's not going to get in his way because this is not a lieutenant at this point in time in his career that cares about any of this um and so uh but that was purposeful Daniels and Freeman did that on purpose. Um, so this is not just like a dummy, like da da da. Like like this is this is them playing chess. Yeah. Uh, we get to Lex, Bodie, and Naaman. Uh, Naaman, of course, is is the first of the, of the four kids that we get to meet first. He, of course, is on the corner, is on the corner working for Bodie. He's sitting on the corner, not paying attention to anything, as he's supposed to be one of. The, he's supposed to be, of course. One of the dealers uh, working under Bodie. Um, Bodie uh, Bodie has a conversation with Lex. Lex, of course, is Bodie's number two. Um, Bodie now. Now we talk about resetting Bodie. Now, of course, formerly a, a Barksdale uh, crew chief, is now a independent uh, independent drug dealer, getting his supply from Prop Joe and also from Slim Charles and Prop Joe. Um, Bodie has a conversation with Lex, 
in regards to Lex's uh, ex-girlfriend, who, of course, has, by the way, has, uh, by, by, it happens to be his, uh, have a, who he happens to have, have a child by. And basically, you know, Lex says, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot this dude if he doesn't stay away from my ex-girlfriend. I'm going to fill him up, in his words, I'm going to fill him up with some hot ones. Bodie gives a look like, okay, yeah, sure you are. That type of look. And he tells him, hey, you know, this guy messes, this guy works for fruit. This fruit works for Marlo. Marlo is in control of everything right now as, he, as you know, the reigning king of Baltimore of the drug trade. He says, you know, forget this girl, forget this girl. Leave it, you know, leave it alone, leave it alone because you need to hear the truth. Uh, so you um, getting Bodie again in a position of leadership, want in a position of leadership. Also, his reality being on a off brand corner versus years of, you know, either being in the towers or running with a uh, or 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 selling a, a, a major product uh, with the Barksdale's. Uh, with the Barksdale's behind him, of course. And of course, Bodie talks about this uh, to uh, Slim Charles, and Slim Charles basically says, "You know, this is not, you know, you know, this is this is not the old, this is not the old times." Uh, Marlo wanted Fayette. This is the way. This is uh, the way it is. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, two big important pieces on this, exactly, resetting the table, letting us know exactly where Bodie's at. Um, and then also um, the, big, the big thing was Marlo's new power. Like that, that's, what, that's what everybody needed to get out of this episode, out of this scene. Marlo's new power, Barksdale doesn't matter anymore. Done. Yeah, and Slim Charles made that clear, saying there's not near Barksdale around. Uh, matter of fact, you know, you had the, the only bark sales that you you know those the, the the only bark sales remaining would be were were those two in terms of uh uh slim and uh Bodie. um so yeah that is the big part that is definitely a, a a big part of that scene and we see not only Bodie in a different position we see the fact we 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 find out that slim charles now is working under one uh prop joe as a supplier or independent drug dealers like uh, like one Bodie Broaders. So every so we see you know continuously on see new people, new old faces in new places. Uh, to put it, you know you know to put it that way, um, we get to uh, we go to Herc and Mayor Royce. So speaking of old faces, new places, Herc is in a new place as a as part of the mayor security detail. Um, we see uh, Mayor Royce's uh, security uh, detail. We see uh, he and um, another guy who uh, is a police officer as well discussing uh, one Madam President, um, you know, just discussing how attractive she is. And the, the guy jokes about her sleeping, sleeping with, he says, the guy jokes that Herc says, I would sleep, I would sleep with you to sleep with her, her, you know, basically, you know, kind of rebuffs that. This, this is again. This, this was a call back to season three, to when they told that when they had that running joke, the Gus Triandos joke, if you remember, with Herc and Carver. So kind of like a call back to that. But more importantly, again, we're seeing Herc in a different spot, in a different role, 
who, um, in a different role uh, outside of the detail. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, no, nah, you're right. I mean, it, it's a callback, but it's, I mean, like that, like everything you said there, 100% correct. And then, yeah, it's a callback, but it's an important callback because there's no one to bounce off of anymore. There's no hurricane carp anymore. That's the most important part of this is that this, that split up, that dy- dynamic is gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, no question about it. And, you know, you see Mayor Royce. Um, you see Mayor Royce also in this scene, just kind of flexing his muscle a bit, saying that there's no way that he's going to do two debates where he could be beat up on the crime rate. Uh, his chief of staff, of course, concurs and says, you know, tells the, says, you know, I told you, basically told him, fuck you, one debate. Of course, you have Royce. Of course, you have Royce is 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 under uh, is being run against by not only Carcetti, but of course Tony Gray. Both of them wanted uh, both of them wanted to debate with him. Uh, so he, you know, you know, great to be mayor. You can you can turn down debates and only do you know only do the debates to your choosing. So he, you know, they, we should we see that as well. And then he says at the end of the scene, Carcetti has to learn uh, about life in the wilderness. Um, so you get, uh, so we go to Carcetti coming off that scene. Carcetti is at a senior home, trying, of course, trying to get votes. Uh, he's out here um, trying to get votes from these seniors. And one of the seniors at, stands up and asks him about what's going to be for dinner tonight. Um, clearly showing you kind of like what a up and coming mayoral candidate is, or even a politician in general, you know, kind of like their typical, what their typical day will look like in terms of, and also the process and that's going to be shown throughout the course of this episode, the process of running a campaign and the ins and outs of that. This, this episode did a, a tremendous job at depicting that and we'll, we'll see in some more scenes, but what were your thoughts on Cargetti? in this old folks home that uh, that seemingly that the, the candidates just, not candidates, but the, the voters didn't really even care about who he was at, at all. Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, like, and this is, this is the, this is the actually the time to be talking about it. Cause we, we all just, went, I mean, this is 2020, we can be real here. We all just went through an election where we learned everything or everything was being said at the same time. And so, what this scene back in back in when when the wire was shot, um, uh, this scene is sh- is showing you the starting to show you like the ins and the outs, and, and I think uh, this is a great moment to pause for a second in the entire episode and just be like, so this season is called like the or it's been dubbed the education season. Now, while that is somewhat true, it's not. It doesn't paint the entire story. The big story about this is that this actually shows the mechanics of politics. Everything that we just went through, this actually kind of like showed it throughout like the uh, half half of this season. Um, Like the actual nuts and bolts of what it takes to be a, what it it takes to run for something. What specifically, and 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 be serious about it. So anyways, there's a whole bunch more to be said. So it's not only this episode, throughout this episode, it's gonna be throughout this whole season. And the reason why I bring up the education as like the the thing because it it drums out the major point in which the show is setting up and i said like thematically um if they ask any big questions not asking any big questions it's good it's just going to present it very quickly and the presentation is politics education how are they similar so that's the kind of like the different pieces 
um, that you're going to take. And then, of course, they'll expand it out to systems, but we'll get there. Um, in terms of this particular scene, yep, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. This is, this is, um, uh, this is all about the politics of how all of this is done. Yeah, uh, again, and, you know, to your point, so normally uh, we saw throughout, well, throughout two of the first three seasons that uh, there, are, there are normally 12 episodes in a season. Season one had 13. This season has 13 episodes, and that the number one reason why this season has 13 episodes is because of, not only to your point, not, because, not just because of the story of the education, but because they had to flush out a lot of pieces from a political standpoint. So that's, that, that is why this episode, not this episode, this season had had one extra episode uh, versus the, the two previous uh, seasons. So, uh, you know, yeah, certainly a lot, you know, there, there'll be a lot of pieces that we'll, we'll get to over the course of the season from a political standpoint. Um, so we get to Royce. Uh, now Royce, we get to Royce, he's meeting with uh, a land developer for the Baltimore Harbor uh, named Bowers. So we see the we see the the land developer compliment on compliment Royce on uh, you know vision and you know his vision and on and, and from that standpoint. Very, this was a very even though it was a quick scene. This was a very important scene moving forward just to show you how Royce moves. And this this was setting a breadcrumb a breadcrumb for for just kind of giving you some more insight on what 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 Royce is all about and how Royce um, kind of how maybe give give me some insight on in terms of how Royce be, even became mayor, so to speak. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is this is exactly um what you said just kind of giving us an insight on where he is right now and what his personality is like now that now that he has official candidates he's running against uh so we go to we go back to the corner uh Bodie's corner with uh and we get we get introduced uh we, we get introduced to three uh the other uh two well two of the, the two of the boys Michael and Randy uh, so Michael and Randy come to meet meet Naaman, uh at uh, at that at you know at his job uh, in Bodie's Corner. So they they want to meet up with him so they can leave early to go uh, school shopping. As again, this school hasn't has not begun yet. Hence, you know, boys term the boys of summer. So school has not begun yet. So they're going. They want to go early. Uh, go shopping. Or some school shopping uh, at this place. Um, Naaman, of course wants to leave early and Bodie chastises naming for leaving early and says, Hey, you're going to owe me extra hours tomorrow. And saying that, you know, it's not corner is not going to be, uh, always dry, always, uh, dead like this corner. up now at this point, the corner, they're getting very little business. Uh, the corner, you know, the corner is not busy at all. Of course. And we mentioned, we mentioned this earlier. Um, well, I, I should have mentioned this earlier during that conversation with with Bodie and Slim Charles. Uh, Slim Charles said to Bodie, "Like, why are you not? Why haven't you re up with me?" And uh, Bodie was like, "Look, you know, we had, you know, it's it's no business here on this corner." He says, "We, and reason why he has no, he's on the off brand corner because, of course, Marlowe wanted Fayette 
Fayette was, of course, one of one of the more popular corners, busy corners. And of course, Marlowe wanted all, you know, God has all he's Marlowe, so he has all the main territory. So this is this this is a off-brand, up until this point right now, this is an off-brand corner that Bodie's on. Um, very little business. So Michael, so he pays Naaman, he tells Lex to pay Naaman for five hours. Uh, Lex gives Naaman the money for five hours, but before before that happens, very important, Lex was completely just in a zone to a point to where uh, Bodie had to, you know, basically call his name twice to get his attention. Of course, Lex is thinking about, we know Lex is thinking about his baby mama. Uh, very important uh, moving forward, as we'll see how that transpires. So he paid Lex pays pays Naaman uh, to go with his, to go with uh, pays Naaman and Naaman goes leaves with Michael and uh, leaves with Michael and Randy. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, on, on this scene? A lot was going on in this on this scene. A uh, few things going on in this particular scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, the, I mean the big and you know, the major one for me is this: is the introduction to Naaman. That that's the that's the purpose of the scene. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Bodie chastises uh, Naaman at the end during not at the end of the scene. Well, throughout the course of the series, he not throughout the course of the scene, he chastises Naaman, saying, "You know, you know, you I don't know what you need school clothes for. I want to go to talk about going to school. You always you stay suspended." Uh, he said, it wasn't if it wasn't for social promotion, you'd be in uh, pre-K." He would be in kindergarten or pre-K. Um, so he, you know, he's not taking naming seriously from as from that standpoint, as, as no as we didn't have any interest in school. And he all and of course Bodie, Bodie also says that uh, you know, look at these youngins, not a bit of work ethic nowadays. So Bodie, you know, is in a position, you know, when we first meet Bodie and opt out the course of the season, he's the youngin. You know, he's the he's the youngin, he's the he's kind of like the fresh face. Now, season four, Bodie is the veteran drug dealer, mid-level drug dealer. You know, he he's the old head. So it kind of, kind of just shows you how, you know, in how these things go in uh, drug dealing can be like, goes in almost like in dog years. Like these guys get old quick in terms of, you know, it's not, get old quick. From that standpoint of, uh, of being around that life, being around that life, so I think this episode kind of depicted that very well in terms of Bodhi and, and where and where he's at in regards to, to the drug trade and how long he's been in it. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, just really, really. Uh, it's a really good scene for the character of Bodhi to just kind of like show us. Um, the amount, the amount of growth that he's had, um, and uh, kind of like let us know specifically again, like where all the player, like where all the moving parts are, where all the players are at. Yes, um, we go to Mayor Royce, and of course the land developer that, that I mentioned earlier, uh, Bowers. So Bowers pulls Royce aside and says, "Hey, you know, are we we still good about that property downtown?" And uh, Royce kind of gives that that uh, classic political answer. Yeah, 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 we're still good. You know, we, I have my people's right on it. And then Royce mentioned something about that to his chief of staff. And uh, and his chief of staff says, says, you know, his chief of staff gives him a piece of information. And Royce basically says, hey, I don't, I don't even want to know. 
in regards to uh, the details of that information. What this was a quick scene, but what what did you make of this particular scene? Um, set up. We get to Chris and Snoop. So Chris and Snoop, we find out why that uh, the detail can't find bodies because uh, we see Chris and Snoop and Marlo have discovered a new inventive way to hide the bodies. They are killing, they're killing, they are killing the competition and putting them in vacant row houses. And uh, so they kill it. They kill this drug dealer in an empty vacant row house. They uh, pour some uh, lime on him once once he you know once they've covered him with the plastic after he's been shot, and of course they board up uh, the row house with their with their brand new uh, nail gun. Um, uh, what were you know what were your thoughts when you uh, first saw when you first saw this this new way of of them this new inventive way of them hiding bodies and, and, and to uh, as a plan as a way of to you know to, to work within their organization yeah i mean like like that's that's the surface stuff and like you know you you know i'm not i'm not even going yeah yeah it's a it's a new way to do it but the main the main point especially like that what what i got of it watching it this time was that um you know it's like where are they hiding the bodies hey this answers the question where are all the bodies right like that was an important piece like that needed to be answered fairly quickly um uh and so like that answers the question the second thing is um you know why do they have this opportunity to put these boxes why 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 do they have this just starting it's just laying it out so the, the thought process is why do they have the amount of real estate they do to put bodies in these places yeah and yeah. i'll get to that more at the end yeah, we're, no, we're, we're gonna get that for, for the end yeah plus, yeah we're definitely going to get to but that. This is, yeah, this is a direct setup for the end. Yeah, that, that question will be answered um, without question uh, before the episode is over. I don't know about answer, but who yeah. well, not answer, but we'll, we'll, get a yeah. we'll, we'll get a sense of why they have, all, why, have mm -hmm. they, why they have all that real estate. Um, yeah. So we get to uh, Michael named Randy and Dookie along with some other kids as well. Uh, they are trying to catch a pigeon, a pigeon and uh, trying to catch a pigeon. So they have they have this box, they have this tree, this this branch holding up the box. And they, just before they trap the pigeon in the box, Dookie, uh, we get finally get introduced to Dookie. He throws some glass, break, he breaks some glass, which distracts, which the pigeon hears and the pigeon runs away. Um, the pigeon runs away, chases the bird away. And then you see uh, Naaman, you know, immediately try to confront Dookie, um, try to confront Dookie saying that they messed up the pigeon, that they messed up the, uh, the, the opportunity to catch, to catch the pigeon. Apparently this pigeon, apparently that this pigeon might've been worth a lot of money uh, had they caught it. So Naaman and Dookie get into it. We see immediately, this is the beginning of with Naaman uh, picking on Dookie. Uh, they they semi I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it a fight they call it a, a minor tussle, um, and Dookie gets chastised and teased by the other kids, especially by naming uh, by naming for uh, for smelling bad and stinking bad. We see how we see how rough Dookie is is looking. So he is immediately out cast 
as the outcast of of the group. So I think that was probably probably the most important part of that scene in terms of our introduction to uh, the fourth the fourth uh, the, the fourth member of, of these young kids. Uh, and and I don't think it's any coincidence that he was introduced last out of the out of the group. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? I don't know where. Uh, so we, yeah, you're. I mean, like I remember the introduction naming. So, um, I I just just missed the introduction of Michael and Randy. And so now Dookie's here. All right. So when do you so well, Michael, when do you want to so, talk about? So now I'm just asking you. When do you want to talk about the characters? Do you want me to save it to the end? End. Because we got like, or at least they like, we got to frame the characters. Yeah, no, I, I, think, new, I, I, I think I, I think that you can we can we can frame it as they as they go along. I think how you how you talked about okay. our induction name it was, it was perfect from that standpoint. So I, yeah, I think yep, yeah, okay, all right, yep, yep, all right. So Dookie, um, so uh, so yeah, so the importance of this scene is um is absolutely um about the a the dynamics of the boys. I mean, first introduce to Dookie, and then the 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 character of Dookie, and then um, is showing us the dynamics of the the boys, um, and and um, even like whatever the play, it doesn't even matter. Like the picture, like the the thing that was the best part of this was just like the like they boys being boys, kids being kids in Baltimore during the summer whatever ridiculousness they're going to get into. It doesn't even matter. Like they're, they're being, they're kids. Like that's also another thing that they really, really want to show at the beginning of this. They were absolutely just kids. Yeah. It also gives you some insight in terms of the relationship of, uh, of one, the beginnings of the relationship between Dookie and Naaman um, with Naaman picking on Dookie. Um, and then Dookie, in return, calling Naaman out for for basically just talking out of ass, out of his ass. He says, he says, I forgot what the exact phrase was, but it basically says you need some toilet paper for all that shit that be coming out your mouth. So we see uh, the beginnings uh, uh, of that dynamic with those two, um, with those two uh, going at it uh, as as Michael, you know, kind of breaks up the little little test tisk that they had um in the uh in the scene and then at the no then at the end of the scene we see that uh as the rest of the kids have moved have walked on have moved on uh we see randy and dookie and dookie says that wasn't that 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 pigeon wasn't a um I forgot the, what the name of the pigeon that they said was was worth Homer, Homer 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 that's Homer yeah, Homer yep Simpson that's yeah that's a that's all. Yeah, that was all. Yeah, that pigeon was not a homer. He says, I've been working in uh, Nemo's uh, in, in Nemo's uh, coop, pigeon coop. He's been schooling me. He says the homer have homers have the metal pieces on their leg or something like to that, to that, uh, something to that extent. And Randy seemingly was impressed uh, with uh, Dookie knowing that particular uh piece of information and so randy so after that randy walks go goes and, and catches up with the rest of the kids as they leave um as they leave uh dookie um as they leave dookie behind so we go on to uh we move into the school um 
Marsha Donnelly and principal and the, and the who's the assistant principal along with the uh, the principal, they are discussing uh, the upcoming school year, which teachers are coming back, which teachers are, are, are mainly, they mainly were focused on which teachers had left and which positions needed to be replaced. Uh, and we see our buddy, Prez Belusky, you see where, where he lands. Uh, so he comes in um, as the door is now, as you know, had to, had a tough time getting the door open, and, you know, and so showing you, showing you, trying, showing you how you know messed up the school is by the fact that they can't, they can't even get the door, can't even, you couldn't even be buzzed in without the secretary having to go up to uh, open the door herself. So uh, he comes in and says that, hey, um, I will be, I, I'm not completing my certificate yet. I will have my certificate in, like in another year or so, but with this. With the resident teachers program, you know, I, I I should be, you know, should be in good shape. Before he even mentions about being a cop, she says, Lambs to the slaughter here. And we can definitely speak to we can definitely speak to to that on many different levels in terms of the characters uh in this season or in this episode, in terms of Lambs to the Slaughter, not just teachers, uh, not just teachers who presumably have no business in education. Um, so she says, Donnelly says lamps to the slaughter here, which of course was the epigraph. And then her whole personality, her whole perception, everything changes when he mentions that he was a, he previously was a cop. She asked, what did you do before this? He said, I was police. And she says, she then, you know, immediately, her, you know, her, her whole body language changes. She starts to smile and introduces herself, introduces and introduces the principal. Um, what were your thoughts on uh, now? What were your thoughts on that scene as uh, as we get introduced to Prez's new career and his new uh, you know his new character arc, so to speak? Yeah, that's that's the huge. That is that's the huge part of it. The where what he's doing is a complete sea change for him um, as we know him as a character on the show. So. Um, Yep, we just that that's letting us know where he is. And I will tell you right now. So, in terms of what Prez is doing, in terms of, in terms of that scene, the scene with Prez brought back some memories for me. Uh, in my educational um, start, my educational career, because the first job I had was as a teacher's assistant in a pre-K class. I go up, I'm interviewing, I'm going up, going to different places, you know, looking for a job. And though I, of course, was not a, a ex-police officer, as soon as I told the the administrator or whoever was in charge, whoever was doing the hiring, um, she was, the, I forgot her lady's name. She was second in command to the to the owner of the other daycare. As soon as I told her that, that I had a degree, she immediately was like, um, Where's let's where's the paperwork? Like that's so like she, I like I don't even remember even I don't even remember even having having to basically interview. She just I basically was immediately like hired on the spot. So when Press says he's a cop and she just perks up and says, you know, hey, you know, that, you know what's going on? How you doing? I I, I kind of had a flashback from that standpoint, which shows you, which gave it gave you a sense of I bring that up to just show you. Like how desperate education can be for to find people in general. They're looking, they they're looking for bodies, and they like 
So that that's why her, you know, her her bot her her body language and her attitude shifted once he said that he was a cop. Because remember, they they had lost four teeth. They needed to replace, they needed to replace, I believe they needed to replace like six teachers. They lost two, four in math and two in English that that were that that were coming that that were not coming back from the previous year. Um, so a lot, you know, some, a lot of times in education, you know, you have a times in education where they're just looking, uh, for bodies and it seems like in that scene that she, that they, you know, she was, uh, that was the case with, with, with the, with this assistant principal and, and with this particular school. Um, we go to Daniels and Mello. So Daniels is a major now he's taken over for our friend, uh, Bunny Colvin. Uh, major, uh, he's the major of the Western District, and Mello, of course, Lieutenant Mello is is is, is, is in his same position as a as a second in command to the uh, to the to the major. So Daniels is trying to goes in. They're discussing similar to the education, similar to the principal and vice principal. They're discussing uh, what the their unit is going to look like up you know in the future in, in terms of the people they have they need to replace. Or people they need to fill spots that they need to fill. More importantly, and Daniel's calls calls in uh, calls uh, McNulty in. Now again, we saw this at the end of last season. McNulty now is a beat cop. He's a beat cop uh, who is basically humping a patrol car. So Daniel's is trying to recruit McNulty out of out of the as out of the patrol division. And into you know wants him back you know wants him back clearing cases for him uh, in terms of the Western or wants him in a, in a more you know has more has has more use for McNulty other than being in a patrol car so McNulty turns down the invitation uh, turns down the invitation um, and Lieutenant Mello says you know well that's not you know you know that's basically that sucks for us. And Daniel says, maybe that maybe sucks for us, but not for but not for him. So Daniel's basically saying that he's where he he is where he needs to be, even though that's not good for us as a as as a uh, miss, missing out on a a, a quality uh, detective. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, he wanted he wanted him to um, be a detective. Uh, so that the cases could be cleared exactly as you said, but the line that he spoke, which was so, so much truth to it, was like, "Yeah, that's you know that would be good for us," um, but uh, you know that that would, but this is what's best for him, um, and it harkens back to the line that McNulty said last season, where um, he was like, "You know, what sometimes I think what's best for like what makes me good for this job." Is what makes me horrible in, in real life. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it was it was something yeah, like no, that. So this, is, this is harkening back. This is harkening back to to that moment. Like he's doing well because he's doing for him and not for anybody else. Uh, no question. Um, so we get to Herc, uh, Herc Bodie McNulty and Collegio. Uh, they meet up uh, on Bodie's corner. We see that Herc. Uh, not her Carver, excuse me, Carver, uh, Carver, Bodie, McNulty, and Collegio. So Carver comes in with Collegio, and you know, it, 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 it's it, it was uh, it was nothing too serious in regards to no nothing criminal going on from that standpoint. He's not trying to not trying to bust Bodie. He's he's saying you know, 
he's uh, basically saying Bodie. He's basically inter- reintroducing himself to Bodie, saying, you know, what's going on, and um, he starts to joke with with Bodie's uh, assistants, little Kevin and Reese and and Lex and what have you, as Lex is sweeping up. So just talking shit to them. Um, and uh, McNulty comes along later on in the scene and reminds Bodie of the entrapment story from last season. Uh, it says, you know, smart kid. And McNulty tells the crew that, you know, when I roll back here, put in back here in an hour, this, this corner is, is bone dry. Y'all are done for the day. Uh, and he rolls out. And then you uh, see... You see Carver, you see Carver, so, you know, you see Carver explain, exchange pleasantries, pleasantries with Bodhi uh, and telling Collegio, Collegio, you know, I was chasing this kid through Juvie, through Juvie, so we got, you know, got a little history together. Um, and, you know, you see, you know, again, you see nothing major come out of this from a standpoint of any drugs or any criminal activity, but the big, the big thing is, the big part is at the end of the scene when uh, Tony, when Collegio criticizes criticizes Carver for his tactics, and he says he says you know he simply tells him, hey, if you bust you know you bust all the heads, can't bust every head because what's you know you know you won't have any you won't be able to find any information get any information when it, when all the shit goes down. So we immediately immediately see the growth. In uh, in Carver, and we see at that comparisons to Collegio, who is still the same mindset of cracking every head, which is again, which will be important moving forward. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, um, it, this is you know, this is set, resetting the table, letting us know exactly where Carver is at, exactly what you said. So we go to Carchetti and D Gaschino and also and we get to we get to uh meet his his entire team. So you have Carver, D Gaschino, Norman, and another another lady named uh Jerry, who's a part of uh his campaign team. He has to go in the room to uh to raise money. Uh and he has the number I believe was he has to hit like thirty thousand. Uh so he has to go in the room and what they call it, dialing for dollars. Um, and DiGassino, Teresa criticizes him for talking, speaking to a one-term mayor. Um, and you hear Carcetti make excuses for that one-term mayor in terms of the, the riots of, the, the riots of, bring up, they bring up the riots of 68. Uh, she said other politicians use those riots to their advantage, uh, while this mayor did not. So you get a little a mini mini history lesson there from that standpoint. And again, a uh, very important part of this is you see the nuts and bolts of how the sausage is made in regards to being a politician. And it, it, again, I I didn't like we I mean we knew uh, going in 2006. This was the season was shot in 2006. Uh, that came or it came out in 2006. Probably was shot before that, but. You knew that obviously politicians needed money uh, in terms of running campaigns, but you know how did they go about getting that money? What is things that how do they go about in terms of raising money? So this gave you some great insight in terms of the day to day of what a what it is like running for office 
and not just the on the surface stuff, but the the, the real nitty gritty. So I thought I really I really enjoyed this scene from that standpoint. As as you have you see, Carcetti has to be in a room by itself, calling uh, or uh, making phone calls or making phone calls to to uh, for money to to get money. And again, initially in this scene, he doesn't even make the calls. He's just bullshitting. As this seems to be just a, a something that's just boring as, as boring as all can be, but this is the life of you know of a politician, uh, a mayor or a mayor or a uh, mayor or a candidate. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, this is this is showing us specifically like what Carcetti has to do to um, get elected. Yep. Uh, we have um, Lex and Fruit. Uh, so Lex, following up on what he said earlier, uh, is watching Fruit go in, watching Fruit, because we know from season three, the crew, uh, Marlo's crew chief, go into a club with uh, his, girl, his, his, ex, his ex-girlfriend, Patrice, well, Lex's ex-girlfriend, Patrice. So he watches them go into a nightclub. Of course, this will be a setup for a big scene. Uh, later on, uh, we go to Carcetti, who continue, who was still in the room, supposed to be dialing money to try to raise money. But again, he is bored as he, you know, is just is not doing anything. He's just, you know, looking at a poster with a naked girl on it. He's uh, playing with darts. Um, so we we see, you know, again, we see how tedious and boring that being a a mayor, a mayor, a can't. A, a mayor candidate can be. Um, then we get to the big scene with Lex and Fruit. So Lex waits until Fruit comes out of the club with Patrice, walks up to him uh, and shoots him in the back of the head. And we see, of course, Fruit Fruit fall to the ground dead, and Patrice with blood splattered all over her start start yelling, and he said. Lex, of course, says her name, says, what up, Patrice, as she starts screaming and runs away. And, of course, now, you know, we, uh, you know, now, of course, um, you know, all hell breaks loose from that standpoint. Of uh, From that standpoint, uh, what were your thoughts on, on this uh, particular scene? Yeah. Um, yeah, this, this scene isn't about, nobody, about Lex or anything like that. Nobody cares about Lex. Um, the point of this scene is that the detail had um uh oh we'll we, have, we're not sure. so, we're not sure. we just, just yeah, yeah, yeah i know i know i get it i get it yeah. but what we do know is that um they're all over marlo's people we do know that right we, we know that and gotcha. so this scene is a setup that leads into that which i'll connect when we get to that scene yeah so we get we get so Carcetti again not making the calls and now we you can you can make that connection because the detail we get to the detail and they hear on the wire that fruit has been killed uh, by Lex. So that that's heard on the wire that fruit has been uh, has been killed by Lex and of course we all know that they were not able to connect any bodies to Marlowe and. Now, all of a sudden, the one body that does, that they do connect, is one of Marlo's peoples. Yep. So, we get to, um, so we get to Carcetti, finally, Carcetti finally starts making calls 
he gets he gets four thousand dollars from a particular from uh, some, from someone. So he's finally starting to make some traction in terms of of raising uh, of trying to make his mark hit his mark of thirty thousand. Um, Freeman and Bunk. So Freeman goes down to the Eastern District. Uh, excuse me, go down to the Western. Goes down to the Western, talks and discusses the shooting of Bunk. Discussing this, no shooting with Bunk. And basically, you know, Bunk, Bunk, um, Freeman says, hey, Marlowe is a new power, but he's not, he hasn't been dropping any bodies. If this is the first body we've heard on the wire, on the wire in months, and it turns out to be one of Marlowe's people. And then Bunk, of course, says, hey, you know, how could somebody take up, take up, how could somebody have all that real estate without dropping any bodies? And then you say, you know, then you hear Bunk say any any new information, of course, um, any new information on this, uh, he says the Bunk wants to know immediately. And then you hear, you know, have Freeman Bunk kind of joking, you know, basically going back to, you know, they remember these guys have history going back to when they worked together during season um, two. Uh, what were your thoughts on this uh, on this scene? Uh, this is, this is a setup scene. And we, yes, it's a, it's a setup scene, but we all, we find out we, the important, I guess the important part would be the fact that Bunk, this is Bunk's case. So I, I think that they, 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 they wanted to make, they wanted to make that known to the audience that now that Bunk is going to be the primary on, uh, on this case. So we get to. And also because of where everybody, wait, that made me think really quick because of where everybody is. Um, everybody's so spread out that there's more cooperation or the cooperation that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. He and Bunk mentioned that, you know, at the end of the scene, look, you know, we, you know, any, any information the Bunk want, the Bunk wants to know that, and that, and that was in his words. Um, yeah. Bunk is expecting full cooperation because of, uh, because of, you know, the, the, the established, like you said, they were established, the established relationship that he already had that he has with uh with Freeman. Um also um so we move on to Marlo and Chris. They're in the alleyway uh at night along with a couple other a couple other Marlo's uh, soldiers discussing the shooting and of course they find out like Marlo doesn't even know who Lex is and rightfully so Lex is you know is a is a is a number two to a independent drug dealer. So Chris basically he finds out what the what why Lex shot, why Lex killed Fruit. Uh, Marlo's crew wants to go full, you know, takeover mode. Wants to kill everybody and take over the corner. Marlo, to the advice with the, and this is where the 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 this is where, in contrast to where we left off in season three with Avon Stringer, you have Marlo and Chris who are completely on one accord. Chris basically says, this, this, you know, it's not worth it. Uh, this is a little ragtag corner off Pacer. And he, you know, so Marlo, you know, Marlo tells his people, it's like, so, so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to take the whole corner and kill everybody? And, you know, Chris shakes his head. And then Marlo says, you know, you know what, I, what I want with some ragtag, what I, he said, what I want with some off-brand, off brand corner and why and he says why would I want to be stacking bodies when nobody's worn with us? And that's the important dialogue in that scene. Nobody is warring with us. So he is in complete control 
of the of the Western uh, West of the Western Baltimore tr tr uh, drug trade with no rivals. Uh, so he just says, "Hey, just take out Lex, and that's it. You know, just take out Lex. He's, he took one of his ours. He took he took one of his ours uh, down, so he got to fall. Just Lex. Um, so we see a, uh, you know, I don't want to say a less aggressive a less aggressive Marlowe, but a more but a you know a Marlowe who who we know is aggressive, but we see a strategic, a more strategic side of of one Marlowe." Um, as he's thinking big picture with not wanting to take down the whole corner and, and everybody on it. Um, he's only, you know, so, so we see that. What were your thoughts on this scene? Um, yeah, now you named it at the very last, that the very last part that you said. Um, uh, and then also I wanted to add that, um, if you, if, no, you're not going to go to war over something personal. This is somebody's personal, this is personal. And what's up? It's personal. It was personal. It was a business. That that's the thing that rang out in my head. Yeah, yeah. No, this had nothing to do with the drug trade. Nothing like that. This, like you said, this no. Right. So he, he's not in the, the the piece of land. The piece of land, or not land, but the property. Like you said, it, it, uh, Chris said it specifically. Like this is some piece of shit off-brand uh, strip. Like what? What good is it if we if we do take it over? Like we're not. It's not. It's not making any money. So it's not. So not only is not only is this would this be over something that's personal has nothing to do with the drug trade. If we took it took this over, how would this benefit us as an organization as far as uh, product and making money and what have you? So it's not even you know, it's not even worth it by any on any level. It's not even worth it. For Marlowe to uh, take over this uh, this this strip of uh, of, of real estate um, moving forward, um, so we get to um, Norman and Carcetti. Uh Norman drops off Carcetti. It's the end of you know what's been seemingly a long day for Carcetti. He you know is sleeping in the car. He kicks him. Norman kicks him out the car. Um, and he dry, and Cargetti drops his shoe in the lawn and just leaves it there as he heads in uh, in in terms of in, into his house. Uh, quick scene, but what, what were your thoughts on this particular this particular scene? Set up. Um, so we go to Naaman, Duke, Michael, and Randy. They uh, we see Dukey gets jumped by some terrorist boys. And we see Randy come up with a plan to uh, for a, a, a plan to to get back at the terrorist boys. Uh, what are your thoughts? Shut up. Go to Carcetti and Norman. Uh, so Carcetti and Norman. This is the next morning. Uh, Carcetti chastises Norman about you know about the uh, the tuna tuna sandwich that he ate that he ate last night in regards to the same thing that he's eating this morning. Uh, Norman, you know, like yeah, Norman's basically like, yeah, whatever, in terms of that. And they listen to they listen to the radio spots uh, for Carcetti, Carcetti's radio spots. So before they can before that they can even get excited about the radio spots, Carcetti gets a call that Royce has spent over three hundred thousand dollars on television spots. He immediately tells Norman to shut the radio spots off. 
Norman says, I thought they were pretty, I thought they were pretty strong. And Carcetti basically says, it doesn't matter. Like this guy is spending money, $300, he's spending money like it was candy, $300,000. And he just immediately goes into a tirade um, in terms of the frustrating, frustrated in terms of how much money and resources that uh, Royce has. And he goes to a tirade in terms of in, as he's about to go meet with the com- some community members, basically chastising them for what are they, what are their complaints, uh, what are their complaints, and what have you. But that, but the main thing was the fact that he feels overmatched at this point in the in the race in terms of how much money and resources that that Royce has. Um, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I'm, I mean, like, the, this is it's setting up a lot of different things. I can't talk about a lot of it. Um, so it's like, again, this is it's it's giving us little it's giving us bits and pieces and taste of car, uh, of of Carcetti's character. And the reason why they're going to take the time and build it up is um, I, I just have to say Carcetti's the center of this season. And so so how he goes and what happens is very important. So they're taking a lot of time to. Um, give us all the dimensions of his character um, because he's going to be that important to this season. Uh, we go to Naaman. So Naaman, Donut, Kennard, Mike. So we get introduced not only to the four boys, but some other, other kids as well. Along with the four kids, we also meet Kennard and, and Donut uh, as well. So they come up with uh, Randy's idea was to uh, drink a bunch of soda, drink some soda and drink some soda so they can uh, piss in these balloons uh, in, in these balloons and come up with these, uh, have you know, piss balloons basically. So they, you know, they're doing that. They're drinking the soda so that they, of course, they can uh, speed up, you know, speed up, you know, their ability to, you know, to piss. So we see them, uh, we see them doing that uh, before a big scene comes about. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on, on this, on, on this particular scene? I mean, again, they're reiterating that they're kids and they are showing us um, parts of the, uh, giving us little bits bit of each of their personalities. We go to uh, Carcetti with the, the, the community, the, with, the, the, with the neighbors uh, or the community people that he, was, that, he, that he met up with. They show parts of this, these, the alleyways that are blocked so the police can't, so the, that, that are blocked by the drug dealers so the police can't get to them. So Carcetti is now in the trenches discussing, um, as you know, the lady mentioned when Carcetti first got down there, the lady says that we've called and called, but nobody, but nobody's answered, nobody's answered um, at all. And uh, so she shows him where she, you know, this older lady shows him where the drug dealers block the alleyways so that the cops can't get to, uh, can't get to them when they're chasing them. Um, what were, your, you know, what were your thoughts on the interaction with these uh, community members? Yeah, the point of this scene is um, to, uh, again, it's, it's complicated. So um, the, the, on the face part of the scene is to show that Carcetti cares, right? Like that, right. that's the only yeah. face part of it. Um, the second part of it is to show that, um, it is strategic when and where you show where, that you care. And it's very, very important that Carcetti shows that he cares 
um, to people of color in a way that voice has not. And so the point of this scene is to show that there's a disenfranchised group of people, even within the African-American community, that voice that, that from their perspective, voice hasn't, hasn't been attending to their needs. And that's the way that Carcetti can um, erode some of that power that voice has. And to go back, to link that back to what you were talking about, um, th this, is not, this is not easy. So Carcetti will have a hard time. Anybody has a hard time. You go up against an incumbent. Again, it's 2020. Um, we just saw this. No matter what the incumbent has done, it's very, very hard. It's yes. very hard. Um, and so, um, and so all this, you know, the, the big thing about Carcetti now is all the chips are stacked up against him. Incumbent mayor, black in Baltimore at a time when the majority of this, the citizenship are um, people of color and um, want to see people represented, want to see themselves represented in the people who are making the decisions, all of that stacks against Carcetti. Yeah, no, no, every, everything is stacked against Carcetti. He's going up against a, uh, an incumbent mayor. He, he's white, and he's white, okay? We mentioned this earlier in the season, or not in the season, but in the episode where he's even speaking to, uh, you know, a mentor of his, the ex, who was the ex mayor, saying that the day that, that told him specifically the day of the white mayor is over, and he told him that specifically. It, it, yes, absolutely. Again, that's the that's the flat out on the face stuff. Um, yep, it's it's about more than that. But no, it's we'll definitely. That. I, I I saw this. I saw this about. I saw this. This was uh, to your point. This was a anti Royce. Uh, mm -mm. Uh, scene. I, I, that's, yeah, that's, nah. That's I, 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 no, you can't. Yeah. We can't. I know you. We, we can't like really flush it completely. Flush it out. Yeah, I mean, I because I, I think. Oh, I mean, it's worth having the discussion now because it's the beginning of the season, so we might as well get get our bearings straight. But it's not an like my problem is with anti voice. There's no anti anything. Everybody's part of the system, as we've already um, talked about throughout the wire. And so this is not a Royce versus Carcetti. This is not who has the best ideas of Baltimore. That you and you know why I can't get into like the right. big, the big topic of of that. But um, yeah, it was even at this early point they're not characterizing this guy is good, this guy is bad because as we've seen in the political process, that doesn't really do anything. Um, and so um, it's about resources right now. And how is Carcetti going to get those resources in order to be an incumbent mayor? Now, of course, all the candidates have to use the terms, you know, the city's falling apart and yada, 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 and this, this and that and everything like that. Um, but um, it's a matter of perception. And then and also on the big the big picture thing, and this doesn't have to, I mean, anybody can research this about the city, about where the city was when this the character of Carcetti, the mayor, the mayorship he was very much based on. Like this isn't even like subtle. They weren't being subtle with this. Um, the mayor that Carcetti is based off of and where the city was at that time and where the city was after that mayor. Um, that will tell you a lot about the characterization of, uh, of, of, I mean, that'll tell you overarching what they think about the mayor of Baltimore at that point in time. This is the, the mayor that's based on is what David Simon 
and Ed, Ed Burns, that's that's the regime. They really did a lot of this work under, especially, um, I mean, Ed Burns was a police officer, but uh, uh, David Simon as a reporter, um, and The Wire was his second uh, series based off of what was going on in Baltimore um, at that time. This is all underneath this white mayor and all of the different things that they, that it brought up. So that's why, that's why anti-Royce, um, Versus pro, no, no, they're not talking. There's no anti and pro in this because they have very strong opinions about the mayor of Baltimore at that time. And there is very strong opinions of it. And I'll leave it at that. We get to. Um, but they, they're they building up the character. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. And just like you said, to your point, showing how the system, how the system has, has failed these particular community members. Uh, with, when she mentions that we, you know, we called and called and no one come, and no one, uh, you know, no one comes down, comes down here. Um, yeah. We get to uh, go, we get back to the boys. So they, um, so Michael, Michael uh, punches the one of the terrorist boys or two, a couple of the terrorist boys in the face. Uh, so we get we we get a you know we we get we see the aggressive side uh, of Michael from that standpoint. He punches punches these boys in his face after, of course, the these nuts joke, which is uh, which will never, which will you know just one of those timeless jokes uh, that <laughs> that we all remember as kids growing up. Um, so he punches them in the face and ch- and of course runs, uh, sets a trap for them as they get hit by some of the piss balloons. And then you see Naaman uh, accidentally, you know, throw the throw the balloon and bust in his face, and you know he says, you know, I pissed on myself. And then we see a bunch. Uh, then you know, all chaos breaks loose as the terrorist boys, who were probably it was probably more terrorist boys than there was of uh, Randy and, and and Michael and all the and, and, and rest of, and the rest of the kids. So they uh randy randy, yeah yeah no yeah randy yeah randy did say it's just as many of them as like, there's gonna be more than than us there, there definitely <laughs> definitely there definitely was more than yeah. uh they took an ass whoop. Yeah. a lot of them took an ass whooping to be honest with you uh and we see so in this ass whooping we see some of the characteristics of characters uh of these boys we see michael you know Knock out a couple of people, but Michael also take his get you know gets beat down, gets, gets jumped by two of the kids. We see Naaman watching Michael hides out and watching Michael get his ass whooped. Okay, very important. We see Dookie ducking glass, almost getting hit, uh, and we see a we see a couple of other, the boys that were in white shirts. The white shirts were with with, with Randy and Michael's crew. The terrorist boys, of course, had all had all black on, had the black shirts on, so. You see, uh, you know, through this scene, we 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 learn a couple things about about you know we we pick up on a couple things about the characters. Uh, Michael being you know again Michael being the one aggressive one of the aggressive ones in this group, uh, and Naaman just again watching Michael get beat up. So that to me was the important part. Uh, the important part of this scene to me was what was Naaman's actions or lack thereof. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, they definitely wanted you to take notice of um, Damon's uh, actions. Yeah, just the boys again. Um, 
doing doing their thing and them showing us different parts of their personality. Yeah, you named it. Uh, we get teachers and cops in and in, in both back to back scenes or in trainings uh, looking just bored out of their minds. Um, we'll go to the teachers first. So uh, the ladies, you know, going through her, the, whoever they brought in from the outside is going through her bit. And one of the teachers basically says, what am I going to do when Harold Carmichael throws a desk, a stack of a uh, stack of books through a window and they bring up a pencil sharpener and one of the teachers says, what am I going to do? I had, I had, I had so-and-so student ripped a pencil sharpener and rip a, rip a pencil sharpener off the wall. So basically uh, teachers are saying that teachers are, t- are, are saying that none of this shit that you teach that, that, you, that, that you're, that we're going through in terms of this training is going to help me over the course of, of the school year. And the same thing with the cops, the cops are talking about, the, the people who come in, train the cops, talking about terrorist acts and things of that nature. You see our, our buddy Sammy says, if the West Side got blown up, would anybody tell? Would anybody be able to tell? And then you see Carver, uh, you know, start cracking some jokes. And the other uh, other cops just, again, th- this was mainly due, this was frustration and boredom um, uh, in both of these meetings uh, as these scenes go back to back uh were 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 shot sequentially um you know going back and forth um what were your thoughts on on these scenes with the cops and with the teachers both in training yeah you named it frustration and boredom so during the training we see bulk um bulk uh come up to come up to uh, McNulty and discuss uh discuss the murder uh about the of course about the shooting of uh about not lexus shooting about uh the shooting of a fruit tries so he tries to get some information he shows him lexus picture he's looking for lex of course this is the guy he says you know the guy that they, they heard on the wire you know that one of the suspects and mcnulty of course remember mcnulty was on that corner a day earlier so he recognizes the face somewhat but don't you know can't doesn't doesn't he says the face looks familiar and then you then you have Bunk uh, trying to get Minotti to come out for to, to uh, come out and, and get a drink, uh, and Bunk says and uh, Minotti says, "Hey, you know, how about you know meeting you know the kids? How about dinner with the ankle biters?" So another demonstration that Minotti is in a different place in this season in, in terms of in, as in comparison to uh, prior seasons. I'm going to flush out, I'm gonna, and I'm also going to talk about Minotti later on in this episode. To give you some background on why, on 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 what, uh, you know, you know, on, on some, some some information, more information about him to, for, uh, for this season uh, later on. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Shut up. Uh, we have we go to Naaman, Dookie, Michael, and uh, Randy. So the fight is over. And, um, you know, you see Michael bruised up. Uh, you see Naaman, you know, basically says, I got away. You know, basically, Naaman says, I got away, twisted my ankle, running around the corner. And Michael, tat- Michael criticizes, uh, Michael criticizes Naaman, says, but you got away. And um, Dookie says, uh, Michael, you have Naaman buying ice cream. For all the uh, 
for everybody. He says, I'm buying ice cream for all the soldiers that stood tall. Um, so he gives everybody a dollar. And Dookie says, what about me? And he basically blows Dookie off. And then uh, Michael gives him, a, uh, gives him a look. And he gives, uh, kind of basically forces, in a way, forces uh Forces Michael, forces Damon to give uh, Dookie, not only Dookie a dollar, but also give him a dollar as well. With uh, To give him a dollar as well as he basically shames Naaman into uh, giving up that money uh, in terms of for buying the ice cream. Uh, very, uh, I, I think a very important scene in regards to what direction that these characters are going, to, are, are going in, are going to go in. Um, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, just again, boys giving us little, little, uh, little taste of their character. And, you know, in that scene, you know, Michael does not do a lot of talking. He just says, yeah, but you got away. So it wasn't like uh, there was physical intimidation by Michael. It was just, you know, there were the it was there was an understanding of what, what, what time was. I mean, Naaman knew. Uh, like I said, he was shamed into giving Michael and Dookie both a a, a dollar uh, uh, in terms of uh, for the ice cream. Um, we move on to Carcetti and Norman. Uh, so Norman, of course, is Carcetti's top is, is like his you know top guy uh, in terms of running his campaign. Um, they're discussing the black campaign manager. Campaign manager, yes, it's campaign manager. Um, they're discussing the vote, the black vote, and Norman says, uh, and this very speaks to twenty twenty. He says, uh, you know, we've been, you know, he says we've been voting for y'all for a long time, for you know, seemingly forever in regards to blacks voting for white candidates, which is true. And, you know, he, you know, kind of, he kind of uh, teases, Norman kind of teases uh, Carcetti uh, in terms of whether or not he's going to vote for him. He says, uh, Norman says, I haven't voted white since Bobby Kennedy. And he says, you ain't no Bobby Kennedy. You can do your research on your, on your own with, in terms of Bobby Kennedy, of course. Uh, but um, Norman kind of messing with uh, Carcetti a bit and also giving, you know, some speaking truth to power in regards to, What's, what was not only going on throughout the course of history, but even what's going on today. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scene? Uh, it, uh, yep, set up. You name what needed to be named. We have uh, Randy, and so we have Randy and his foster mother. Remember, this is the same. Now, his foster mother, Miss Emma, this is the same lady we saw in season one who Bunk tried to, who, who Bunk burnt, almost burnt her house down with the, uh, when he set his clothes on fire, trying to, trying to hide evidence. So this is, this is that same lady. If you, if you go back to season one and one of those episodes in season, in season one. So she plays Randy's foster mother. It's at the end of the night. Uh, she, she's, she, she detects, of course, and I'm sure, sure she smelled the urine on Randy. Randy, of course, blames it on Dookie. <laughs> he blames it on Dookie. And of course, we, I guess the, the important part of this scene is the fact that we see that Randy has a 
support system at home. I'm not, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, his uh, foster mom. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is yep, giving us giving us a very uh, uh, in depth, oh, not in depth, a very quick look at, at Randy. But this is a nice time to pause on that character because he he will be the heart of this season. And so, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'll wait. I'll wait. I, so there's a setup that that's coming that that I'll speak more on Randy about. Yeah, no, there is definitely, uh, definitely, definitely some discussion about that character. Um, we go to Carcetti and Norman. So Carcetti and Norman and uh, Tony Gray are at, uh, run into each. Uh, so Carcetti is with Norman, and they run into Tony Gray at a meeting. Carcetti was running was running a little late for this meeting, and Carcetti, of course, is trying to kind of make up with Tony Gray. Of course, they had the falling out when Tony Gray found out that 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 uh, that, that uh, Carcetti was running for mayor. Uh, so Car- Carcetti, Tony Gray is still upset behind that, and basically and blows Carcetti off, um, and blows Carcetti off. Um, so he's still pissed off about what transpired last season. Um, from that standpoint, uh, any thoughts on this scene? Politics are ugly. Nah, no thoughts. Yeah, no. I mean, listen. Uh, and, it's politics. It's not like you know he Tony, you know. But they, I mean, you know, they were friends. They were they were on the council together for a long time. But politics, it, it, you know, you know, famous words of Jay Z. Politics as usual, you know, from that standpoint. Um, we see Prez and Marsha Donnelly, the assistant principal. So very interesting scene. So Prez walks into his classroom. Right, school has not started. So there have been no kids in school. Let me make that clear. School, this is school has not has not started, and the classroom looks like shit. Now, you're talking to two folks. We, me and Robert Sapp, are going to be in our bag in terms of the educational piece. I had a I had a major problem with this scene as a as a current educator. I understand the whole premise that the school is supposed to be in bad shape as far as the budget. And it's supposed to be, you know, behavior problems, shit like that. We've already, you know, we they've already talked about that from a standpoint of what what the kids did to the pencil sharpener. But this is the beginning of school, so you're telling me that the classroom looked like that before school started, that no one cleaned it up at the end of the school year. You're telling me that? Like, what what were your thoughts on his classroom looking like that before school starts? I mean, you had desks all over the place. Uh, yeah, yeah. They got to clean that classroom. Yeah, I, I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, what? Like, I, but I did you did you find that as a, did you? I mean, the classroom actually has to be clean. But I'm talking about even did you find that as a flaw in the writing? Did you have a problem with that from that standpoint? Or did you, did you, no, 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 not at all. Ed Burns is is writing from his experience. It, yeah, yes, that's true. This this is true. So that, that that's a so I can't I can't well, no, say that, that was the he gets, he gets the benefit of doubt at yeah. the time. Yeah, he gets the benefit of doubt from that standpoint. Um, yeah, the classroom was shitty. Um, I get no. So I'll I'll, I'll even contradict myself. I'll, this is how I def- I would defend that if if somebody had a, had a problem with that. Okay. I guess um, from a standpoint of of of. of um, now his name is blanked out. A Prez. I guess from a standpoint of Prez's story, 
it's like starting, it, this is like, okay, we want this classroom to be dirty now because, you know, this is just the way it is. From, but I guess they wanted to kind of send a message that this is, this is Prez also starting over and that thing, you know, it's going to be messy to start to, to begin with. So I guess I kind of want to give a, a, a sign from that standpoint or, or kind of from that standpoint, like Prez, it's, you're no longer in your comfort zone of the police force with solving, you know, crimes in, 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 in Daniels's office, not Daniels's office, but in the uh, major crime unit, this is, you know, this is a whole new world. So yeah, I, I can understand it from that standpoint, um, uh, from, from that standpoint. But again, that could have been, that could have been based off a true story in terms of, cause Ed Burns, like you said, Ed Burns was a, a was a teacher uh, after, uh, after his uh, 10 years of copy was a teacher. So, we get to um, Kevin and Randy. So Kevin, as you remember, works under uh, was one of the boys, one of the corner boys on 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 that, that works under Bodie. He tells Randy to relay a message to Lex about um, saying that hey, first of all, he buys a bunch of candy from Randy. Of course, Randy is in business for himself; he's selling candy. And uh, he's trying to initially. He's trying to sell Kevin some M and M's or something like what I thought. I think it was M and M's, uh, some candy. So Kevin pulls out a bunch of money. Says, "Look, I'll buy. Basically, I'll buy a bunch of this candy. I just need you to relay this message to Lex. Says that that a young lady, uh, that Patrice, not only a young lady, but Patrice wants to meet him later on, uh, later on in the park. Um, and uh, Randy, of course." Um, so he tells Randy to relay, uh, tells Randy to relay that message. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Shut up. So we get to find, so, so of course, Lex, I mean, so of course, Randy, you know, relays that message. They, they don't show Randy actually speaking to Lex, but so we, but Lex, but we assume that we know that, that, Randy, that Randy, you know, told Lex off screen and Lex runs into the trap. Lex goes into the park, and of course he's 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 awaited. He's uh, of course falls into uh, to, to the trap with Chris and Snoop waiting for him um, in the park. And uh, he says, you know, says to Chris, you know, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know. And you know, Chris basically with a gun in his hand says, you know, yeah, you know, it's good. So you know his fate has been sealed at that point. How dumb was Lex? Like he really, he really thought that this girl was going to meet him after he's after she's killed after he's killed her boyfriend and blood spat all over him. And so Lex, yeah, Lex was not the certainly was not the brightest. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Uh yeah, set up. I mean, this this is all about Randy. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely about Randy. Um, so Bunk and Carver. Uh, are, 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 you know, are, are in the car. They're, of course, looking at Bodie's corner, and, of course, they don't see Lex. Carver says, hey, we can, this is at night, and Carver says, hey, we can, also, we can always roll down. We can always uh, come back down, um, come back here tomorrow, um, come back here tomorrow. So they're looking for Lex. They don't see Lex um, on Bodie's corner. Um, so we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how that you know how that how that is uh, flushed out over the course of of, of the se- of the season. Um, we get to Kevin and Randy. Kevin tells Randy uh, first. Kevin questions Randy. You know, did you do what I say? 
And then he says, you must have, because Lex says the boy Lex, uh, says the boy Lex went up to Alley and went to the park and is never coming back. And he says, Chris and Snoop. And he, of course, he, you know, points in the, uh, points his hand in, in, in the sign of, uh, of, of a gun set and basically tells, you know, basically tells Randy that Lex and Snoop took out, not Lex and Snoop, but that, uh, that uh, Lex has been taken out by Chris and uh, and Snoop. Um, and of course, Rand, and this is the first time, and this, and now Randy knows what he was a part of without, without knowing initially. Yeah. Uh, he, he finally knows, now he knows that what he, what, in terms of what he was a part of. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, nah, this is that's exact you named it. That's exactly it. Now now he's now he fully understands what 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 he did was not just a simple favor. Um and so yeah, yep. You named it. So we go to um we go to Carcetti, he's back with his uh with his campaign team. And he gets the first batch of poll numbers, and he he is besides himself in regards to uh, the poll numbers. thinks he should be taking a, you know, think he 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 wants uh, he thinks that he uh, also along he and Tony Gray should be taking a bigger chunk of of, of voices base. Um, so he's not happy. His campaign manager. Well, to his campaign strategist Terry Digaschino tries to calm him down. She says, basically saying that I've been ahead by further and lost. So she's, you know, she's a veteran of this, and you know, she he, she's a veteran of this. Um, he's Carcetti is, you know, is frustrated and you know, basically storms out and says, "I can't win this." And 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 uh, as soon as he leaves, uh, they joke or or you get or t- Teresa jokes and says you know the man can read a poll and uh what were your so what were your thoughts on 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 you know on this on this particular scene set up but i i love that line though it was funny the man can read a poll yeah that that was yeah that was <laughs> well i mean I, I i think even initially like you notice how calm you, you could tell that she's been here and done that in terms of how calm she is, and basically telling him, like, basically in some ways, telling him, to, telling him just need to calm the fuck down in, in many respects. I mean, all, all I mean, he's throwing one huge tantrum. I mean, like this, all of this is tantruming. But the big, the big thing is like they're all professionals. They're used to these are how all the candidates behave. Uh, yes. Um. So they're used. They're used to handling candidates. Like this is this is the point of all all of this. This is this is all part of it. This is us having an insight on someone who's running for office on times when the public wouldn't have like an eye on them. Right. And so of course they're being human beings and, and bitching and moaning about why everybody wants everything from me. And why is this so hard? And why do I have to dial for numbers and everything? He's, he's, he's being a baby. He's throwing tantrums all, all the time. But as managers of candidates, they know that the candidates act like babies during this time. And that's, that's when you have to, you just got to manage them. That's the job. You manage them. And so the reason I found that line so funny was because it was like everything, like, like what she basically was saying is like, he, like he told no lies of what he was saying. Like he doesn't have a chance to win this thing. And he knows <laughs> it. They know it. It was, it was, I mean, that's what she was talking to him about in the beginning last season. Like, why do you want to do this? You can't win this. Um, and so, 
now he is experiencing exactly what everybody was trying to warn him about was this isn't just normal candidate challenging this is going to just be very challenging for you and so um yeah he's feeling all the challenges and he's reacting to it uh like a baby but um also in that was like you know maybe we should stop trying to bs him because he can actually read this poll and <laughs> yeah. there's not a there's not a whole <laughs> bunch of things that we're going to say that's going to make these numbers feel better <laughs> to yeah. him yeah i mean but it, like they they probably i mean they certainly were thinking that they they don't they don't tell him that no you can't win no they, no, no, no no they managed the candidate they, they, they managed the candidate no yeah they managed him they managed him and and then with the the, the whole when he leaves, when he leaves and she says a man can't read a poll, you know, she adds some, you know, some levity to the situation, to, to what they probably are, are to, to what they are. I'm certainly, certainly what they all were thinking, like, yo, you know, he, he has no chance. Uh, but, you know, that's, you might as well crack a joke just, you know, just to keep everything on, on, uh, on the up and up. So to speak. Um, well, he was gone by that time. She no, was saying that to the people, but more importantly, the point real is she was saying that to the audience. Audience, yes, yes, yes. Not the characters. Um, so the point of that is that um is to let us know, yeah, everything is stacked against him. He should not win this. And he knows it. And um, you know, there are there are tests of character and moments of character, and yep, everybody can show great character when they're winning. How do you show what characters do you have when you're losing? Right. Again, we can't speak on a lot of this because it's the first episode, but these are all clues. So we get back to uh, Snoop and Chris. Uh, we've seen them. Um, we didn't actually see them kill Lex, but we know that the body that they boarded up was Lex. Uh, they they put they put him in a vacant as Snoop kind of plays uh, mini lookout hey. in regards to uh, watching uh, as Chris boards up the vacant uh and snoop looks out and then we see those two in unison just walking down the street uh with the uh as 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 chris has the um the nail gun in hand uh you wanted to get you wanted to get to a point about the amount of territory that marlo has and what the story is trying to say uh what what point were you were you going to make with that when we get to the the in the very last uh, two scenes are important. So and so I was going to get to it then. Okay, so we got Carcetti. Uh, so Carcetti at this point is down to Baltimore Harbor. He's of course it's been a long day, a long night. He's drunk, and we run into a he runs into a cop that's just you know doing his job. Uh, cop just doing his job, trying as he has broken uh, Carcetti has broken the the uh the park uh curfew past curfew so the cop lets him know about it and he basically tells the cop hey you're worried about me breaking the curfew while this city has like a murder a day and the cop says you know you're trying to be a smart ass and the cop finally recognizes that uh who he is in terms of him running for mayor and kind of takes it easy on him from that standpoint says you know take it you know take <laughs> Carcetti, sorry, he introduces himself. He says, hi, Thomas Carcetti. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, yes, yes. He just says, I'm yeah. running for mayor. And yeah. Just had to, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm running for mayor. He, 
But I thought, I thought the cop says, "Don't I know yeah. you?" And then he says, "Tom." Yes, he says, "Don't I know you?" And then and then Carcassi. Exactly. Rec- I thought I recognized you from somewhere, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Carcassi was the one who made sure he knew he was mayor. Yeah. Yes. Running for mayor. Tom, yes. Thomas on the yes. council and running for mayor. Says his full name and Tom and, and running for mayor. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. Councilman Tommy Thomas Carcassi running for mayor. Running for yep. mayor. Yeah. So gives you know, after he gives after he gives the mayor his uh, you know resume, he uh, the mayor. After he gives the the cop's resume, the cop kind of says, "You know, take it down, take it somewhere mm-hmm. else," and and walks away. As we see uh, again, a drunk and frustrated uh, Carcetti. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, um, and so like this, like the the big thing, and I want to circle back a l- just really quickly to the last conversation that we were having about him and his personality. Also, another point that line at D'Agostino when she said the man can read a poll is how politically savvy that he is. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that, that I me- mentioned that a lot of candidates can't take, or at least the implication in that scene is a lot of candidates can't understand the information that's being given to them until they break it down and it's being fed to them. He's very politically savvy. He can do that instantaneously, which is also will play a much bigger, much bigger role. Um, as far as this scene goes, um, you know, it's everything is stacked against him. He's taking his moment. He's throwing his tantrum. Now, what is what is he going to do, right? Like, so it's like this is this is giving us uh, a look at. He's kind of like at a crossroads here. What what do I want to do? What do I believe? And how can I get it? How can I get it done? So that's kind of like symbolically what's going on in that scene but even more importantly just kind of like in a nuts and bolts way like he starts to launch the campaign speech up to the to this man who's just doing his job like sir get up and move like nobody needs to hear about the crime right now and everything <laughs> like that you're drunk on the bench go away get, get up and leave like he's like Ugh. so anyways i just found that i found that interesting um and so i think that's part of the, the that's part of his um that's part of his journey like what is what is it that um you know for lack of better terms or whatever like positives you use you know the everyday joe average american blah 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 whatever versus like when interacting with them individually and in, or more in intimate situations first what i need to come off as as a political candidate to the masses those are two separate things or two sides of the same coin so yeah uh-huh. figure that out I also wondered too. So when he says like, now clearly he's drunk and you know he's at the end of a long day, but uh, I I couldn't help but to think about when he says um, the city's having a murder a day and you're worried about me, you know you're worrying about me on breaking curfew. I couldn't help but to think about season three in regards to uh, maybe the, the show, you know, kind of criticizing policing and what real policing should look like. It's like, you're worrying about me on the bench, but when some real... Yeah, uh, but no. I know, I know, I, I know, I know, what, I know, I mean, in the like, park. Look, like, yeah, it's different, he was it's drunk, different, yes. it would be different if he was in, yeah. Yeah, it'd be different. And then, it, he doesn't have anything to do with the impact of policing Right. In African American communities, he's walking the beat in the park. So that uh, my my point is, um, yes, there are times when the, when the wire delivers messages like that, 
Um, and there's times when Carcetti delivers, I mean, like, like that's a point, an irrelevant point, but this wasn't the circumstance. So we get to the final that's scene. That's not a relevant point right now. Right. right. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no, we get to the last scene, a, a powerful scene, to say the least, where you have Randy sitting on his stoop, and he, I can immediately, I can tell you right now, this is going to be my Chardin, the winner. Uh, just on this scene alone, you have Randy on the stoop. The actor, I forget, I think the actor name is Maestro Harrell, is his name. He does a phenomenal job of just showing you the just how much that this of him being implicated in this murder has is affecting him. Like he's sitting on the stoop, and you know he's just thinking about things, just thinking about what what he just did and what, what he's, what, what he now is a part of, uh, from that standpoint and his grandmother, not grandmother, his, his foster mom calls him in. And as a police car drives by, he goes into the house. Um, powerful scene. Uh, the actor did a phenomenal job. with just showing you just without thinking you love, you love these moments. He didn't say anything. It, nothing needed to be said. This, this was him his facial expression, his body language, his face told it all. Uh, yeah, uh, a loss of innocence. A lot. Uh, uh, that's Nina came to mind. That this kid, this kid, whoever, however, let's say he's 12, 13 years old, uh, 12, 13 years old, his innocence is done at this point. It's lost. Like, like in that, just that quickly. That's what I thought about. Uh, what were your thoughts on this powerful scene? Uh, yeah, I mean, you name that. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit of a different way. Um, so, uh, when, so I'm going to compare these two scenes. And the reason why I'm going to compare that last scene and this scene is because when I was watching it this time, um, it really struck me how quiet and how patient both of these scenes were. Like at the end of the Carcetti scene, he walks off and they just leave the camera on the city at night. And I was just like, wait, is this the end of the episode? And right. then that scene, then Randy's scene comes in, and I'm like, that's it. I know that's the end of the episode. But now I was like, oh, they did that back to back. Um, and so, yeah, so the scene, of course, with Randy ends, the police go by, calls back in, he goes in, and then the camera just lingers on the neighborhood. So it's not unintentional. I probably have to give more thought because it's my first time really recognizing it, but it's stood out to me so much. So I'll tie it in, connect it in with what I was saying, what I was going to say about Randy. And I think, um, not I think, I know the reason why those two scenes together is because they want us to pay attention to Carcetti in the same way. So um, you said loss of innocence and it's the very beginning. That, that's, that is, that's Randy's journey. I mean, you might as well just name it right now um, because you said it. That's his, that's his journey throughout this. And that's not only his journey, but it will mirror everybody's journey throughout this season and what we need to pay attention to. And in particularly with Carcetti, I already made the connection between um, the political system and the educational system and how those two play off each other and the similarities and the toxic nature uh, 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 that, that those two institutions have towards each other, but then also the individuals who are part of, who are part of this process. Right. And so like, if we think about last year, and last year, last season had the reformers. Well, out of the new reformers, there's only two left in this season. It's Carcetti and it's um, and it's uh, Cutty. 
Um, and so we're going to each see how their reform is is going. Um, if you look at Randy, Randy is kind of like on the opposite side of that. Randy's just a baby living in the system. He's just he's just trying to make it. That's all he's trying to do. Just be him in this 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 educational system, and then by definition, our political system, our country which is governed by the political system. So he's just trying to make it in a way. So he's on the opposite side of it. He's not trying to reform anything or do anything. He's just trying to go by his daily life. And we're going to see what these two systems do to this boy. Yeah, yeah. He, and ultimately what it does to Carcetti. Yeah, we, um, and getting back to uh, the themes, um, I mentioned earlier, like new regimes for the MCU and uh, also new regimes for um, not only with the Stansfield showing us a different drug organization, showing us a, a new drug organization. I could also add the fact that there, you know, we there was a lot of education going on. And I, and I, of course, the, one of the themes, you know, we don't look heavy into education, also politics, but we, we as an audience got, we're getting educated on the political system. You have, you know, Carcetti getting educated on running for mayor uh, and what, what, you know, what that entitles, you know, you know, Snoop, you know, gets an education uh, along with the salesperson in terms of the nail gun and sales do get some education in terms of the, the, you know, in terms of somewhat, somewhere in terms of Snoop's world, um, uh, certain unintentionally by Snoop, but you know, this is how, this is how, just how she was. So uh, you saw a number of, of a number of, of, of places, a number of people getting an education in terms of the, this new, in terms of this, in terms of what the season is going to look like. Um, I thought, and I thought they did a brilliant job at balancing with the education uh, theme along with the political system. I thought that this job nailed that, nailed it um, perfectly. And I could, listen, you know, we can always go back and forth with the rankings. We know I have fun with the Bolcher rankings just just because I can see why they, you know, even though I might not, I, I myself wouldn't have this as a number two episode all time of The Wire, but I can understand why they had, they, I can understand why Vulture thought this uh, had this had this episode ranked so high uh, because of the you know just coming off coming off season three and the Barksdales and having to make that transition and I thought in this episode that they you know made that transition uh, basically seamless uh, that they made that transition seamless so I can understand why Vulture had this episode ranked so high. And me, when I first saw this episode's ranking before I watched it, I said, there's no way that this is a top, that this episode, remember what I, I hadn't seen it, but you know, a couple of years, like there's no way that this episode, from what I remember, was a, it was a top two, top five episode. But now I understand why this episode uh, was ranked as high as it was ranked, because it really did a, one, a tremendous job at laying out the groundwork uh for these four boys and for some of these uh storylines that we that, that are going to be going on um moving um moving forward um who was your mvp um so my mvp is carcetti okay uh 
because like I said, the the he he'll set the tone. He set the tone for this episode, and we'll set the tone for this season. Um, so that's that's one. Uh, so that that's why he's my MVP for this episode. I agree. I agree. I think Carcetti was was definitely the MVP. He drove this episode uh, without question. Um, so I, I agree with that. That uh, from that standpoint, um, that he was the MVP. Of, uh, of this episode, um, who was your Sardine starting award for best performance? It was a scene that unfortunately you didn't talk about, but I just adored the scene. Um, so it's going to be my Sardine award, and it's the one with McNulty. Uh, no, no, wait, it's Freeman, um, and it's the interaction between Freeman and Kima as they are hustling the attendant. Wait, no, wait. And then McNulty comes in. Why is McNulty in there? Um, McNulty wasn't in any scene. But it just it had me smiling. No, 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 no. It just had me smiling the whole time. It was the third person. So anyways, I, so my Chardine Award goes to Freeman and um, and Kima. Um, and uh, I just enjoyed their interaction together, particularly when they were hustling the Chiefs. Oh, yeah. I, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, they get him to sign off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, scene. I, I that's, the scene. that's the scene when they got him to sign off on the paperwork. So they... Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 I, I know exactly the scene you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They, yeah. They, uh, uh, I'll speak a little bit more on why this is why this was um, my Chardin Award because I, I like... I mean, there's so, there was so much to get to and talk about in this episode because there's so many new people, but le- like, I'll just leave it for the vets. Uh, I'll just say this for the vets really quickly. In, in terms of like them using, the writers using the time to really establish like the new kind of like layout, what was so good about this episode and why I under, completely understood why Vulture gave it the ranking that it did was um, the... I the common idea in story writing is you heap more onto your characters, more drama, more like things, so that you know the people aren't invested in them. And and I love the approach that they did with these characters. They are returning characters in this episode. It just felt good to see them, and each of them were in a good place, which is not normal. <laughs> it's not normal for these characters, and so they went the other way, and so. While yes, a lot of 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 my Chardine moments going to be have more quiet, dramatic parts of it. I think that since the writers went the other way, the the team went the other way on this, um, it really stood out. Like how many of those moments of of our returning characters, Kima, um, Freeman, uh, McNulty, Daniels, everybody at peace with where they were, hurt. Um, uh, Carver, everybody was just like in a different space, but doing well in that different space. And I thought that moment really epitomized that. Yeah, no question. There's no question about it. Um, yeah, everybody. Yeah, this first episode, everybody, people were, everybody was happy as far as where they were at, as far as I see some of our leftover characters. I, I, I didn't even think about that um, over the course of the episode that you saw that people were, you know, I mean, Daniels gets his got his promotion as a major, you know. McNulty's in a peaceful place, uh, you know. Car, yeah, yeah. For our, in terms of our returning characters, uh, everybody seemed to be in a uh, uh, in a good place. Now, 
what about your um, Charlene Award? Yeah, that's right. You did have Charlene. I got to get Oh, it. I did. That's, that's yeah, what I, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I so my Charlene was, uh, of course, was Randy. I, I thought that last scene, the actor, um, again, I hope I'm getting his brain. Yep. Like Maestro Harold. The tremendous, just, you know, just acting without saying anything. Just It was. It seemed, seemed that it was just effortless in regards to that. Um, but that, you know, that is, it, that takes a lot uh to 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 kind of show that type of emotion without saying anything and you could just see on you see it all over his face um yeah i you know this episode was much better than i than i i then i i will say that this episode was better i was more, i was into this episode more now than i i feel like i was even though even when i watched it multiple times i think that it moved quicker and I, even though even though it's laying out a lot of pieces and kind of giving you, you know, breadcrumbs on certain pieces, I, I felt like it did for a for for the first episode of a, of a wire season. I thought it was it, it was it was pretty fast moving. To be honest with you. Um, All right, so I have a final thought. Are you ready? Okay, and what I want I want to mention a couple things before you you get to that. Yep. Um, yep. This and I have a question for you. So. This began, uh, HBO started experimenting with the on-demand um, with this. So if you had HBO, you were able to see episodes six days ahead of mm-hmm. viewing. So you could see it. So uh, instead of, you know, so you could see an episode on Monday morning. You see an episode on Monday morning. Uh, were you one of those that would wait until Sunday night, or were you were you there mon- like Sunday at midnight to see the episode, the following episode? Of- I I honestly can't remember, real. You know, okay. uh, every, okay. you guys listening to this uh, who is not of our age is like the, we might as well be talking about the Telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's like not even a thing that people even think about anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, but so, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. I do remember they, that. Yeah, I, do. I, I honestly can't remember. They, uh, yeah, HBO started out again. It was, I give HBO a lot of credit. Um, of course, they because remember, they're trying to draw up, of course, they're trying to draw up ratings. Were never ratings were never good with the wire, as we all know. One of the reasons why they had to keep continuously fight for the seasons to get renewed every season, especially after season three. But uh, it, it actually was smart because I was one. Of the, I a number of people that I talked to were like, "Yeah, after after Sunday night football, uh, twelve o'clock, twelve o one, I was right there, you know, right there waiting, you know, waiting uh, to, to watch the, the following weeks, the, the next week's episode." And now it's funny because years later, uh, you have these shows like Power and some other shows where twelve o one. Saturday night, you can see the episode and don't have to wait until Sunday night. So I, from that standpoint, get I, HBO uh, was um, was uh, ahead of its time. Also, my McNulty point, I, I almost forgot that. So you will not see a lot of Jimmy McNulty in this season. The reason for that, uh, McNulty at the end of season three was homesick. Uh, he's from London. Um, so he was homesick. Um, and also his career was starting to take off. He, he was in some movies, The Forgotten. So there was some other movies that came out during that time period where his movie career was starting to take off. And also, more importantly, 
he, along with David Simon and the writers, other writers thought that agreed with him in terms of thought, in, in terms of thinking that the season would be better off if like, like they were starting to think that his, his character was becoming redundant. So he thought that, and David Simon thought that as well. So they, um, now I believe, I think, I think it was, it turned out to be a blessing in the sky because I, I, if, if you tell, if he, if he says that, Hey, I'm all in. And, you know, from that standpoint, I think you definitely would have saw more of him. So I think that it worked out perfectly to the fact that he thought that the that, you know, he was homesick and they were able to able to focus on other aspects of the show uh, from that standpoint. So just so some information from that standpoint of why you would not see a lot of, of Jimmy McNulty uh, over this, over the course of the season. All right. What were your thoughts? Uh, okay, I need to respond to that. Um, I, I I know that's how they I, I know that's how that's being sold, or, right. or how that was being sold it's at the time. Um, which is why we were doing a really good job of peppering stuff in about McNulty as it was going on. Um, so that's total BS. <laughs> that's why we've been having these conversations about the McNulty character and how it's been developing. They have anything to do with him being homesick. Why is care? Get out of here. Oh, so so you don't think it was? You think it was more about them than it was about him wanting? No, to- we've been talking about it. We've been talking about his character and the arc of the show and how the show is going. It's not about his character. Like he he was very much a main like the main figure in season one. But as the show developed, we I mean we've been pointing this out, and then this one is just radically. This season is radically different. And once once I get to my final statement on it, I'll I'll elaborate why. But no, uh-uh, 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 <laughs> nah. I mean, like I mean, like I could be uh, I could be super real on on this on this comment as as well. I mean, like because it's 2020, we can just name what it is. It's appeasing a white man. That's what that's what that is. What that is right there. Um, because this show was pitched to. Um, uh, what's the what's the actor's name? Uh, when it was pitched to him, when he was not pitched to him, I mean he didn't have that clout. Um, but um, when when he was, anyways, none of that matters. <laughs> Point being, that's total BS. Yeah, I mean I I I, I can see that. I like I don't. Yeah, I mean no, it's no seeing it. It is total BS. It is absolute BS. It is it is the reality of the situation. That's yeah. what they were saying at the time, publicity wise. Right. Absolutely, but it's the reality of the situation, and because we know how this thing played out, so yes. we know that that's BS. Yes, we know it's BS. Um, season four. I think, was I, had mention, I, think I had to mention that the fact that I now again, I, I agree with you from that standpoint. Uh, they this is just the direction that the show was going in from from a writing standpoint, and so. But I did have to mention those pieces for the audience in terms of like he was starting to get other movie roles during that time period as well, just to. Yeah, no, no, but that's why that's why we've been peppering in our conversations about the McNulty character and where it's been shifting and where it's been changing to show that this wasn't just a sudden shift. Right. Like they've been like they were transitioning his character and that's been in the work for years. You do think this is what people they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, right? Like the like we know this show is a long term planning show. Right. So this, the shift in the McNulty character were coming way before yes. all of this. You yes. started this episode off saying 
that, hey, we knew three, like, they, like season four was uh, like they had a plan and season four was delayed. So, uh-uh. No, no, no. No, they knew what was coming. Yeah. And they no. had been shifting his character for seasons. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, listen, yeah, it, like they knew that they were. It's just that that's that was if okay you, in that day and time. In 2020, that's that wouldn't they wouldn't even say they wouldn't fix their mouths and say something like that. No, um, no, uh, because um, in certain circles, I'll say the days of just appeasing privilege is not looked at kindly. And that's what that was doing. That's what that statement was about at that time. Right. Was about appeasing privilege. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What'd you what'd you want to get to? Oh, the radical like how like so um so season like I said season three was their transition into being the perfect television show. This uh, the reason why season four the season four is perfect. I mean, and I'm just going to say it right now. It's perfect in every single way. It's perfect. Um, and so, uh, and so, the reason why is their shift into con- con- like committing to making this a television show and not just a procedural, not just talking about how things happen. Um, and the way that you know it, and the reason why I said Carcetti is kind of like a, a a guide of the show is because of the amount of language they give the really good act they give people who know what they're doing have been trained for this for years versus the newbies to it to give that authenticity and you can really see it develop in the season and we also know how a lot of these people's careers played out on the other end of this and you can see a lot of those choices were well earned within this season versus you know what they've gone on to do um, and they knew that was part of, that's why I said this season so radically different was because they were bringing in a lot of people that were not trained actors to add to that authenticity. But that also meant the ones that were the trained actors were going to have to do significant heavy lifting in this season. Uh, and so they get a real chance to shine. And you see people like, um, Car- like uh, why am I forgetting Carcetti's um what what his character? I mean, the actor's real name. Um, uh, Adrian Gillian. I think it's Adrian Gillian. Thank you, Adrian. Yeah, Adrian yeah. Gillian. Um, you know, he he. Yeah, it is Adrian Gillian. Is uh, Adrian Gillian? Um, uh, for Carcetti, and then um, who was the other one that I wanted to to lift up? Oh, and you see it with like Daniels. Um, uh, and so like um in this season. So pay attention. The show is the it, it's. It's radically different in its approach to casting, but they it they became dominant in the way in which they structured shots and structured a show because of the limitations of some of their cast members. Um, the the way that they structured some of the shots, structured some of the way that the show flows, and then particularly who gets how much dialogue and when they become dominant at this and a lot of it was because of the unique structure in which they wanted to set up and then my final point on this is this this is when the wire really became um that show that was just like oh like this is 
a place where a lot of um, uh, people of color, particularly uh, African-American actors, were coming to congregate because they there were things that they could actually do and say. This is that point. And that's why I had to go so much after the Minolte character and the Eddie Gillian is because there's two, there were two dichotomies that were happening. One was we want to give people who don't usually get a shot a shot and they're like not a shot we want to tell their stories we want to have them a part of the storytelling process versus this one character privilege who wanted to be more of the show and it was becoming very much less about that character um and something more culturally important um so that's what was yeah that's why i had to yeah so show radically different amazing perfect season absolutely perfect season so all of these could be number one episodes for all i care one two three all of these are top five episodes there's nothing there's literally technically nothing wrong with this season at all like it's perfect um it's, it's ridiculous um and so uh and so yeah so that's that's why it's such a uh a i want revolutionary is not the word i want to use a uh, radical that's why this this season is so radically different than others yeah no they took they took some major risk like i said uh, i said at the top of the podcast they took some major, it, it was a major risk um shifting away from maybe not in their eyes but maybe from a audience standpoint shifting from the barksdales because i like i even i mean here here's Here's what I remember about that time. Like by this time, everybody was all on board on the wire as right. a show. Right. Um, uh, and so the risk that you speak of, which 100% accurately also in my mind is about the subject matter. Um, it had become a talking point because of the, the time in between third season, the fourth season, and the analysis of the third season. Everybody loved the third season, of course. Um, and so it became very popular that people started to identify the wires as big things. Like, this is when all of the the talk about the wire started to develop in the vacancy between season three and season four. This is when all the conversation started um, about the intricacies of the show. Um, and so um, people had started, people had caught on to the fact that there were these big bucket um, uh, labels, um, which is why I always said season three was confusing to me until I saw season four. Then I got exactly what they were doing doing in season three, which is why season three just being the political always bothered me, and season four being just education always bothered me. Though that's not how those two seasons were constructed at all, um, just to be those two singular things. It's not how the show was constructed, but whatever. Um, so anyways, so I, I say that to say, like, the the big part of it was um, seeing how they would, um, they would frame the entire season without the Barksdales and the drug game being the primary, primary uh, mover. They had taken those pieces off the board. How can they? How how do they frame this season with those pieces being gone? Um, yeah, yeah. And we we just said we just said all this right, and we there was no 
there were two missing pieces in this episode that we certainly will get to in future episodes that are going to be major factors. No, there was no Bunny Colvin and no Cuddy, no Cuddy this episode. Those characters are coming without question. Those will be two major forces in up in this season. So they, had, again, this just shows you how much, how many resources they had at their disposal as far as the quality of characters and storylines and, and what have you that we just described this episode as being a great, great episode of Vulture ranked at number two. No bunny or no 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 bunny, no cutty. So um definitely looking forward to um uh covering the season. Like you said, I, I think this is the greatest season in the history of television. I stand by that. All right, there's nothing in this episode that I saw that would even make me that would make me move uh away from that. Did, did you ever you flush out the point about Marlowe with all the his territory? Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I moved on. I moved on for that. That's right. No, no, yeah, no, so it probably was that thing you were talking about. I was thinking. I was more thinking about Randy and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, I mean, the territory. The territory is vacant houses. Why are there so many vacants? That's the point. Right. The reason that he can bury bodies in vacants is because there's so many damn vacants. Why are there so many damn vacants? Yes. Yes. Is a question. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll yep, definitely that will be explored. That will definitely, that definitely will be, um, that definitely will be. But it's also, uh, yeah, it's also a question that doesn't necessarily have a, it doesn't have a resolution. No, but it will be explored. But it does, I mean, again, but the answer, the answer is painful, as are all the answers that yes. come out of the wire because they're true. But it, I mean, it, it was explored a little bit in regards to just it just it, it was it was a show of just how powerful uh, he was and is during right now. Remember, he mentions during the uh, during that scene, which is the only scene that he's in. He says, "Why, why, why would I want to be stacking bodies when no one is warring with that uh, warring with at uh, with us? Yeah, nobody. He has. There are you're no focusing. Bodies. You're focusing on Marlo. Marlo has." the ability to kill a lot of people absolutely that's not when i'm talking about the vacant it's like okay yeah I know why you. why are there so many vacants for MVP. him why are there so many vacants for him to put so many bodies into got you yes that's it yeah that's so big, yeah absolutely yeah he can kill as many people as he wants to kill but the the point is why like uh, the reason he can hide the body so successfully is because of these vacants Yes. Why are there so many damn vacants? Yeah, yeah. Now we will. That will be definitely that. That'll be like an yeah, overarching no, thing yeah, that they'll be yes, talking about throughout the show. Absolutely. No, no question about it. It connects with the politics. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, without question. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, uh, Season Four, Episode One. We will, of course, be back with Episode Two, Soft Eyes. Um, and uh, as always, thanks to Robert Sapp. All right, sir. Appreciate you. Uh, be safe, be healthy, and let's go, Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get it. Why not? Why not get that in? <laughs> thanks to Robert Sapp. Uh, I will be back. Uh, next, we'll be back next time with another episode of The Wire. As always, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, slash real deal podcast. I will catch you next time. This episode will be up before the end of the night. I promise you that. Uh, I am. That's going to wrap it up for me. 
Terrell Joe Quinn. Have a great, great rest of your evening. And next time, well, you you will hear from me before the new year. So I'm not going to say happy new year as of yet because I have another podcast coming this week uh, with a lot to talk about in terms of sports and, and some pop culture. That's going to wrap it up. I am out.